Thank you for your good singing this morning. It's always wonderful uh, to sit up here on the front row and hear uh, loud voices coming uh, from behind me um, and from in front as well. So uh, thank you for your good singing. Um, I hope that was an encouragement to you uh, this morning. There's a guy named Jose Alvarenga. I hope I'm saying that right, but he is uh, an experienced fisherman. And he was living in 2012 in Mexico, on the western coast of Mexico. And he set out one day in late 2012 on his 24-foot fishing boat um, to go fishing, deep sea fishing. His plan was to go for about 30 hours and to catch um, sailfish and marlin and sharks and to return to port and to sell those for a profit. His boat, 24 feet, had a small motor on it, and he took a, uh, the, the normal guy that he sailed with was not able to go with him that day, so he took a less experienced sailor, but assumed everything would be fine. They were very successful and caught over 1,000 pounds of fish, had it in a, a cooler, a large cooler on the boat there, and after they had done that, a tropical storm came up that they, didn't, they weren't aware of and overwhelmed their sense of direction, damaged their motor, and they were effectively adrift in the Pacific Ocean, which is not a good place to be. No land in sight. This continued on and on. With, uh, they attempted to call by radio, and the radio gave out. No rescue was coming, and... The, unfortunately, the less experienced sailor uh, couldn't make it for the long haul and died after about four months. But Jose, who was very familiar with the ocean and knew how to exist on a boat somehow in the middle of the ocean, continued to live. He drank rainwater, caught sea turtles and fish, and ultimately he was on his boat for 438 days adrift in the ocean. That's not the crazy part, though. His boat finally floated ashore in the Marshall Islands. Now, I had to look that up. I've heard of the Marshall Islands, but I don't know exactly where they are. They are in the middle of nowhere in the getting to the north part of the Pacific Ocean. 6,000 miles from his original starting point. The current basically just carried him along. And he had no idea where he was and ended up washing ashore in the Marshall Islands and it's a crazy story. You can read about it online. Went up and knocked on someone's door. They thought he was dead. Everybody did. Gave this story. People didn't believe him initially. There's no way you made it. He had no control over where the current would take him and ended up adrift for 438 days. Drifting is never a good idea when you're trying to get to a desired destination on the ocean. Drifting is not the way to do it. And it's definitely not the way to fulfill the mission of the church. Mission drift is a real thing. It's a real thing for organizations all over the place, not just churches, but it is a significant problem for churches. It's very easy to get distracted and to turn away from the main thing that the church is called to do. It's easy to let the current just sort of take you along wherever it is that you end up going. There are lots of things as a church that we can do, right? There are lots of things we can do. We have almost infinite options that we can do as a church. We can let the church become sort of a social club. 
I mean, we could talk about fellowship, and, but ultimately what the church can become is a social club that really just exists to foster friendships and help people to make connections and have a social life. And that can become our primary thing if we allow ourselves to drift from our mission. We can become a community outreach center where we simply provide opportunities for the unsaved world around us through sports leagues and through food banks. We can become a political lobbying group where we focus on political issues all the time and we always talk about them and try to get people involved relentlessly. Now, obviously, the gospel impacts all of those areas, right? We do want to build relationships. We do want to reach out into the community and our faith does impact our involvement in our political life in our country. But here's the point. All of those things are not necessarily bad things, but if they become the primary thing for our church, then we've encountered mission drift. And we have to remain ruthlessly focused on not allowing that to happen, on keeping the most important mission of the church as our primary focus. And it requires effort and intensity, and we have to stay on task as to what God has called us to do. Now, last week, we talked about the mission that Christ has given to his church. That mission is to make disciples or followers of Christ. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 is quite clear on that. There's one command. Go and make disciples is the command. The going, the baptizing, and the teaching all support the making of disciples. But that is the primary thing that we are to be about. So we know the destination. We know where we want to go. We want to be a disciple-making church. We want to be a church that produces, cultivates followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the destination. Now, how do we get there? Well, we don't get there by drifting along and doing all sorts of other things. We get there by laying out a map and saying, this is where we're going. Here's how we're going to get there. We don't want to drift. We have to remain laser-focused on our goal. And always bring everything we do here at the church back to that goal and set out a clear pathway to get to that goal. So a few years ago, I think it was maybe my first year here at Woodhaven Bible Church, our elders started talking about this. We started talking about what it is that the church, the local church, is called to do. And we spent several meetings together discussing this topic. What is the main thing that we're called to do? I mean, we literally opened our Bibles and talked through passages of Scripture and, and looked for passages of Scripture that outline the mission of the church. And as you heard last week, our goal became quite clear. Our mission is to make and mature disciples. That's what we're to be all about. And once our goal became clear, then we started saying, okay, we want to be growing healthy disciples of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? What does that look like? What does a healthy disciple, a follower of Christ, do to be growing within our local church? What do we as a church focus on to make that happen? We listed a ton of things on a dry erase board, all sorts of things that are involved in being a follower of Jesus Christ, a healthy disciple of Christ. And so we listed all of these activities, all of these characteristics of a disciple, a healthy follower of Christ who's growing and becoming more like him. And then we took all of those and we tried to synthesize them down to just a few activities that our church can focus on in order to cultivate healthy disciples. 
We were trying to make the pathway clear in our mission as a church. And so here's what we came up with. I'm not saying it's a perfect mission statement, but this is our pathway. This is our goal, our destination, and here's our pathway. Woodhaven Bible Church exists to make followers of Christ. And here's what we think followers of Christ do within the church body to be growing. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to grow, but here's what we as a church focus on. In our programs, in our activities, in our budget, this is what we want to be about. They worship God, they connect with one another, and they serve the church and the world. So this is our mission statement. And it's written like this in order to give all of us clear direction in order for it to give you clear direction on how to get involved here as a a disciple of Jesus Christ. So it gives you direction, and we think it gives you the major pieces of a life of discipleship. If you're wondering what you need to be participating in and focusing on and doing, we would say, look, these are the three major areas, worshiping, connecting, and serving. And it's also a progression for someone. So... Most people first encounter the church body here through the worship service. They end up coming to the worship service. They attend worship, and that's the first piece. And then they start to engage in relationships and get to know people, and they begin to connect with people. And ultimately, we want them to join the church through membership and officially commit here and come under the shepherding and and, uh, be responsible to the body here and to serve within the body here. And then you see at the end, they serve the church and the world. Our goal is for this mission to be a feedback loop. So people share the gospel with the world, with those that they encounter day in and day out, and then those people become followers of Christ, attend the worship service, connect with others, get engaged in serving, and then they share the gospel. It's a progression, and it's a feedback loop in order to try to make sure that we stay on task to see our mission accomplished. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time together this morning. And this is how we're going to end this series. Next week, we're going to get back into the Gospel of John. We have the second half or the second section of the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 21. And I'm excited about that. We're getting into the upper room discourse in chapters 13 through 17. I'm thrilled to do that over the next uh, few weeks and months. But this is going to end our series on the local church. And I want to lay out to you our mission statement talk about these three areas of worshiping, connecting, and serving, and hopefully make this as clear as possible for you in your involvement in the local church and what we're hoping that all of us will be participating in together so that together we can accomplish our mission as we make disciples for God's glory, honor, and fame. So those are the three pieces there. They're on the the wall in the lobby Maybe you have walked by them and not noticed them, but they are out there on the wall in the lobby. They're in our bulletin. We put this mission statement at the top of every elders meeting agenda. We want this to become something that everyone knows and understands why it is that we focus on these things. So let's take them piece by piece in making followers of Christ. First of all, worship. A healthy and growing follower of Jesus Christ will be regularly and consistently worshiping God. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2. I want to show you this in connection with the previous parts of our series. 
So we began this series, 1 Peter 2 is where we're going to be. We began this series by talking about our identity as the church. We are the people of God, a community that has been called out of sin and into Christ. We've been called out of darkness and into light. Okay, so we're God's people, his assembly. Then we talked about the foundation of the church, which is the gospel message, the gospel news. And that is the, the message that we want to be rooted in and proclaiming. It's what calls people out of darkness and what grows people to look like Christ. And I think you can see both the identity of the church and the gospel message in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Okay, so, but you, plural, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, right? So here's our identity. This is who you are, and here's why you have been formed into this people, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So you see the gospel at the end of that. He called you out of darkness and into his light, and you see the identity that we now have together, the people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And right in between those two is the purpose of worshiping. This is one of the primary things that God has saved all of us for. To proclaim here, we, right? We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us, right? To proclaim is to announce, to report something, to show it forth. What are we showing forth? What are we announcing? What are we proclaiming? His excellencies, his character, his deeds. In other words, the bottom line is you have been saved out of darkness and into light in order to worship, in order to talk about, in order to put on display God's character, to honor him for his character, to turn back your gratefulness and your thankfulness for your salvation to him and worship him. It's, it's like if you were born blind and you were never able to see a sunset and you were never, a, never able to experience the month of October and see the, the beauty of the fall colors and the changing of the leaves and you were blind to all of this and you'd never seen any of it and then all of a sudden through some miraculous event you received your sight and now you see a sunset for the first time and you see the fall colors, what would you do? You would talk about it. You would proclaim it. You would be so grateful and so thankful. You would describe the beauty of the colors. You would praise them to other people. It's the natural and automatic response of seeing beauty and seeing glory and being thankful for it. That's the essence of worship. Our worship is rooted in the gospel and in our identity. I'm going to read this to you, and I think this gets to the heart of our worship. I know it's small, but listen, and I'll read it to you. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. 
It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scottish Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But we shall then know that these things are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify God, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. And that's what we're saying. We enjoy Him because of the gospel and because of what He's done. And then we automatically turn that back to Him in praise and worship. And that is what we gather to do each week. We gather to consistently worship Him, and then that worship is to spill over into the rest of your life. But our worship is not just the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. It was wonderful this morning. You guys sang well this morning. But every element of this gathering is an act of worship. All of this together is worship. It's the worship service, not just the 20 or 25 minutes at the beginning of it. The prayer is an act of worship. The reading of Scripture, the preaching, the ordinances. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together this morning. But baptism and the Lord's Supper, all of those are acts of worship. They're part of our worship to God. And the reason for that is because worship is a response to God's revelation. It's what we've been talking about this morning already. You see what he has done, you see who he is, and you respond in worship to him. And you can't respond in worship to him unless you know what he has done and who he is. This is why a chunk of our worship service is taken up with teaching and preaching so that you know the scriptures and you know God and you know the gospel and then you respond in worship. It's always a response. Worship begins with God's word. It starts there. That's why we choose songs that focus on God and are filled with good theology. It's why preaching is a part of worship. That's why prayer is a part of worship. All of these set forth God's revelation and then give our hearts the chance to respond back in joy and thankfulness and praise to him. It's because we have received mercy. Look at verse 10 in 1 Peter. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And therefore you proclaim, you announce, you honor him in worship as you respond to who he is and what he's done. And so, this is one of the primary characteristics of a disciple. So here at Woodhaven Bible Church, we expect and want a growing disciple of Jesus Christ to participate in the corporate, corporate gathering week in and week out. You are formed over time as you are here consistently. We worship God because of our union with Christ, because of the gospel, as we've already talked about, because of our participation in him. But then, as we do the vertical worship, as we participate in the vertical worship of him, now that turns into the second part of our mission statement, and we connect with one another. We engage one another. 
As we talked this through as elders, as we looked at Scripture, talked about our mission of making followers of Christ, this reality of fellowship, of connecting, that's the word we've chosen to describe this, our fellowship with one another, this kept coming back up. It rose in its importance. The body, corporately, connecting with one another. It makes sense. Because we have in the gospel, as the people of God, vertical fellowship with God. We've been placed in Christ, in union with him. We're connected to him. And then as you have been connected with him and placed in union with him, you are automatically in a connection and an objective union with one another. You're placed in the same body. This is why the Bible uses the language of family to talk about the church. Brothers and sisters in Christ. United with him vertically, and then that union bends itself outward to others and influences how we relate to one another. Think about it this way. In adoption, a child gets new parents, but he also gets new siblings. When he becomes a son, he also becomes a brother. Two new but distinct relationships. When you become a son, you snag a spot in the family photo next to your siblings. That's what happens in conversation, or conversion, sorry. Your father puts you in the family photo with your new kin. So now, objectively, regardless of how you and I feel all the time about one another, we have been placed into the same family. We're adopted together. And so because of that, we now have responsibilities to one another within the family. So let me mention two broad categories of responsibilities that we have to one another and how we work out this connection that we have. First is there is clear direction in Scripture given to us and how we relate to one another by the one another commands. So if you have a computer software, a Bible software program, you can go type the words one another into that and look and see how many of these commands are given in the New Testament. And these one another commands are giving us clear direction in how we relate to, to and how we deal with one another. Let me read you a list of these. This is not by any means exhaustive. I had to pick and choose I'm sure that reveals something about my biases or I, whatever, but I had to pick and choose because there's so many of these that give us direction on how we relate to one another, on our fellowship. Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Rejoice with one another. Weep with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Counsel one another. Greet one another. Agree with one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Spur one another on to love. Offer hospitality to one another. Be humble toward one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Fellowship with one another. There's so much direction for us in how we deal with each other. 
And that's because all of these commands are simply outworkings of our fellowship that we objectively have in Christ. The second broad category for connecting here is, I would say, our fellowship in Christ, our vertical fellowship, is is based on the gospel. Therefore, our horizontal fellowship with one another is based on the gospel. Because of that reality, we need to know the gospel and talk about the implications of the gospel for our lives. We need to help one another apply the gospel truths to our daily lives. Now here, we talked about with worshiping how this gathering is the main way that we fulfill that requirement of a disciple. We worship together on Sundays. And I would say that this connecting with one another, one of the primary ways that we do this and that we talk about the gospel together is through our small groups. We have seven different small groups, and this is the main program, church program, where this happens. And we intentionally talk about small groups and emphasize them because we want to see these one another commands fulfilled. We want to see people connecting and building relationships and practicing the one another's and talking about the gospel together. The small groups aren't the only place where that happens. There are other programs and ministries here where connecting and obeying these commands and talking about the gospel takes place. And it certainly shouldn't only be taking place through official church activities or programs. This should become part of our lives as we live together, where we're caring for one another, concerned for one another, We're actively seeking to build relationships with one another that push people toward Christ and toward the gospel. Lastly, here, after connecting, serve. This is the last piece. Service in the church happens because of our new life in Christ, right? All of this goes back to the reality of the gospel. This is an implication of that and of our identity as, as a church, We've been called together as the people of God by the truths of the gospel. Therefore, we serve one another and the world. Listen to this. We are passive receivers of the gift of salvation, but we are thereby rendered active worshipers in a life of thanksgiving that is exhibited chiefly in loving service to our neighbors. This is one of the primary ways that your faith works itself out is through active worship in the church and then service of one another. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, the passage that Danny read this morning. Romans 12, if you're not already there. This passage helps us to see that one of the primary results of the gospel change of salvation in your life is a renewed mind that now serves other people. After talking about the change that has been wrought in you by the gospel because of the mercy of God, Paul immediately goes to relationships with one another and how we serve one another. Look at verses 1 and 2. Very familiar passage to many people who've been in the church for any length of time. Based on chapters 1 to 11, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So a renewed mind is necessary as a part of your salvation. You begin to think differently. You are transformed as your mind aligns more and more with the truths of Scripture. Now, it's very interesting in the whole structure of the book of Romans that this word mind is only used a couple of times. And it's used one other, it's used several times, I think four total, but there's one other major time that this is used, and it's the first time it's mentioned in the book of Romans, and I think it provides two very different ways of thinking about our, our minds and how they work. Romans 1.28 uses this in this passage where Paul is describing the sinfulness of humanity. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So you have two ways of thinking, two ways of perceiving the world, two minds. You have a debased mind, and you have a renewed mind, and they could not be more distinct. This is what the gospel does by the power of God. It changes your thinking, and you now have a renewed mind in chapter 12. But look what happens when you don't acknowledge God, when the gospel has not wrought a change in you, and you have a debased mind. You're in your sinful pattern of life, and you're cultivating that sinful pattern of thinking. Look what happens in verses 29 to 32. This is the debased mind. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. A debased mind is a life that is driven by self. And look at these characteristics and how many of these make you end up in conflict with other people. This does not sound like a person who is a whole lot of fun at a get-together. A person who you want to cultivate a relationship and a friendship with that can be trusted as a confidant. This sounds like a person who is very difficult to get along with who is constantly focused on self and is always having trouble with other people. Relationships are extremely difficult with this, and this is the primary result of a debased mind. But by God's mercy in chapter 12, we've been rescued from living this way. You don't have to live this way. You can cultivate by the transformation of a renewed mind a new way of living. And notice the first place that Paul goes when he talks about this renewed mind and this new way of living. Back in chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what does that mean? It means we understand that we're all in this together. We have relationships with one another and we need one another. And so verse four, for as in one body, we have many members 
and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And then he goes into all of these different gifts that God has given. It's not an exhaustive list, representative, but he gives us a a list of these gifts that God has given and says, serve one another. The point is, a life that has been renewed by the mercy of God turns outward to serve others. That's what happens. It's a natural outworking of your salvation that you're no longer living for self like in Romans 1, but instead you are now living for others because you're thinking differently and you're not thinking too highly of yourself. And so, serving, bending your attention out to others and their needs and their good and their relationship with Christ is a primary piece of your discipleship in Christ. Disciples worship God, they connect with one another, And then they use whatever God has given them in the way of gifting and desires to edify the body and advance the gospel into the world. So we wrote our statement to specifically include both the church and the world because it can be very easy for us as a part of this body to think of service as only something we do within the walls of the church. That is important. But there's a real danger in limiting our service to just within the programs and the functioning of the local church. It can be easy to focus all of our time and our energy on that. And that's true. A healthy disciple does serve within the local church. That's a natural outworking of this. But a healthy, fully formed follower of Christ is also reaching outside the walls of the church and looking for opportunities to engage people with the gospel. They're living out the fruit of the Spirit in front of the world as they interact with those. They're kind, they're gracious, they're joyful, they're, they're nice to be around. And then they use that to look for opportunities to share the gospel with others so that others can come to faith in Christ as well. Now, specifically here within the body, we try to make this as easy as possible for you. So worship, the Sunday gathering, connecting, small groups, and then other various ministry opportunities, serving. We have serving teams that each have a leader over them. They're listed on the website. You can talk to Pastor Trevor about those. But we try to make that a very clear entryway into utilizing your gifting, your desires to in some way serve the body here and help you to get involved. So all of this, we've tried to be comprehensive and yet simple and clear. All of it is aimed at fulfilling God's mission within the local church. That's our desire. We want to make disciples. And I think you're here because you want to be a part of that and make disciples and participate in that as well. In all of this, keep in mind that the structure of this is not the end goal, right? We're not just here to make a pretty structure that then accomplishes all of these institutional goals for us. The structure, the mission statement, the programs, all of it exists ultimately for God's glory, but it exists to grow people. We want everything that happens to happen so that you so that I become more like Jesus Christ. 
so that I'm more thankful, so that I worship Him more and more, so that my mind is renewed more and more, so my character reflects Christ more and more. That's the goal. That's what a disciple is like. So I'll end with this quote, because I think this gets to the heart of it. Whatever other signs of life and growth we might look for in our congregations, involvement, activities, newcomers, finances, number of staff, buildings, and so on. The only growth that has any significance in God's plans is the growth of believers. That's the mission. And we do not want to drift from that mission. We want to stay ruthlessly focused on that goal and that mission. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just your grace to us in giving us these truths. And we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would give us the courage as a body to stay focused on these goals, on this goal, to see believers grow to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ in a life that honors you, glorifies you. Thank you for our time together. I pray that you would use these passages of scripture, these truths, these principles, drive them home in people's lives, and that we would even just make a little bit more progress this week in understanding your word better and applying it more specifically to our daily lives. We thank you for all you've done. It's in Christ's name. Amen.